0: Welcome to this episode of the Things That Matter Most podcast, where we dissect practical and cultural and spiritual issues using Jesus's message as our starting point. My goal is that you find yourself encouraged and equipped to live more like Jesus every day. My name is Pastor Isaac, and I'm excited to bring you somewhat of a bonus episode of the podcast as we've just finished our Awakening 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting series. And this is kind of um, its own thing. I want to take a look at a story in Scripture that is really, really powerful and have the opportunity to just draw some conclusions about it regarding this topic. How do we handle people who have mistreated us? What do we do in life with these individuals who have done things to us or treated us in such a way that it caused devastating things in our life or hard things in our life. And so I'm really excited to jump in and to explore the story of Jacob and Esau together and to see how their relationship played out in the really extraordinary way that God created some reconciliation there. And so without further ado, let's jump into this special episode of the podcast as we talk about Jacob and Esau. You know, I've been going through this really unique passage of scripture in the book of Genesis um, about the relationship between two brothers whose names were Jacob and Esau. If you've been around the church or you've kind of been through some of the scriptures, you'll remember that they are rather famous as they are the grandchildren of Abraham. And so, of course, God made a covenant with Abraham and Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob Uh, and Jacob's brother was Esau. And so I want to take a minute to kind of go through this story with you because I think there's this really cool application that I would like to draw and bring to you because it's just helpful to us in our life. So this is the question I want to kind of answer in today's episode. How do we handle people who mistreat us? How do we handle people who mistreat us? What do we do when... It's not our fault that a thing happened when somebody's malicious towards us, when somebody's offensive towards us, when somebody does something that is just straight up unfair. I'll tell you two stories. The first one, I played soccer uh, in middle school and in high school. I remember how I was recruited for middle school soccer. It was so cool. I never expected to play a sport. Uh, but the athletic director at my school was like, hey, why don't you show up and you can play this? And I was like, okay, I mean, it sounds kind of cool you know, and I played for seventh and eighth grade, and I I actually had the extraordinary privilege of starting as a varsity soccer player in the ninth grade. And I had this experience in the ninth grade, then moving through the 10th grade, that really wasn't so great. There was an individual on the varsity team, who was a real serious bully, like the type of bully that um, didn't just you know verbally abuse you or or pick on you but like he would do really malicious things to me on the soccer field um in practices to to actually go out of his way to really hurt uh to hurt me to physio- to physically hurt me and i hated that um it was really bad now this individual also had a tendency to bully other people bully other family members of mine um and there's a lot of reasons that i won't get into but the next year during my, um, well, really during, you know, after my 10th grade year, really moving into my, yeah, well, in my 10th grade year, um, I decided that, you know, I was going to be done playing soccer. Um, And, you know, I actually played in ninth grade and decided not to play in 10th grade because of dealing with this bully. I decided to go another way, actually ended up doing a, um, a theater production. But either way, I say that to say this, that he really seriously mistreated me, and it caused me to take a route in life that I didn't anticipate taking, which was to be done playing soccer after starting as a varsity, um, as a varsity player, which was a really big deal in the ninth grade. And uh, the end of that story actually doesn't end well at all. This 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 guy who was a real bully, two years ahead of me or three years ahead of me in school, who was truly legitimately a bully to so many people. He was in a car crash and died during his senior year. And that was really, really terrible that that happened. And I remember being so conflicted because this young man was, he really was loved. He had so many struggles in his life. He was honestly rather tortured in a lot of areas of his life. But he didn't, you know, necessarily deserve to die by any means. But, you know, I was never actually able to do anything about reconciling that relationship. I was wronged. I was angry at him. I went out on my way to um, avoid, I was upset, I saw what he did to people, and I just had no respect or care or love for him at all. And then he died. And there was a massive number of emotions that you feel when, somebody in your school, like that's a small school class size of only like 70 to 80 people. And when somebody dies, everybody knows. And it was, it was really a very, very dark, really, really terrible time in our high school career. My now wife um, was just devastated as her classmate passed away. It just wasn't good. And so I think about these circumstances. You know, that's just an example from my life of when I've been mistreated. I'll tell you another example because I said I'd I'd tell you too. Um, When I was a furniture salesperson, I had this couple come in who I had worked with for a real long time. I was excited to work with. We were, you know, they were getting ready to make a really big purchase. They had a home they were purchasing. And so um, they were going to be buying all sorts of furniture for it. And this guy um, tried to take this customer from me. Legitimately tried to steal away this sale that he had done nothing for and that I had worked extremely hard for. And then he started kind of rubbing it in my face um, when he realized he was gonna be able to get away with stealing, if not the wholesale, at least half of the sale. And this was gonna cost me, like genuinely was going to cost me thousands of dollars. And in in the most foolish of ways, I lit into him with my intellect and with my tongue in a way that most people probably would be incapable of. I I assaulted him in such a way that it really cut to the core of his self-confidence and his ability to do what he did, which was to be a salesperson. And I undermined his dignity right in front of my managers. I got myself in all sorts of trouble because of that, and so did he because he was doing inappropriate things to this customer whose information he had kind of stolen, and it wasn't good. But, you know, I handled it horribly, absolutely horribly. And I share that because, you know, there are all times in our lives, there are all circumstances in our lives where – we make decisions that are, that are not good, where people wrong us and we are forced with the next step of what am I going to do now that I've been wronged? And I would, I would pose this question to you. Who has wronged you in your life? Can you think of somebody, a family member or a coworker or a, or a classmate or somebody that has wronged you and it still bothers you? That you still know, man, I was really either stolen from or I was hurt. Who's wronged you? Take a moment to just really process that. Who the people in your life might be that stole from you or hurt you, spoke down about you, gossiped about you, didn't give you the opportunity you deserved, whatever it might be. And then I also think it's really worthwhile asking this question, who have you wronged? Who have you mistreated in your life? Do you have people that you are the one who has caused that pain and that hurt in somebody else's life? And I want these questions bouncing around in your head as we... uh, as we kind of move forward here and look at the life of Jacob and Esau. So here's why. I wanna tell you Jacob and Esau's story. We're gonna look at it through the lens of scripture, of course, this story is found in Genesis chapter, really chapter 25, all the way through chapter 27. This is the first instance we have here. And I just wanna read this passage to you because it's really cool. This is Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 19. This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, uh, from Padam Aram, who was the sister of Laban, the Arminian. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. And the Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in the womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? she asked. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations from this very beginning. The nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other. And here we go. Your older son will serve your younger son. All the way from beginning, this is Jacob and Esau, who she's pregnant with. All the way from the very, very beginning, Jacob and Esau are at conflict with each other while they're in the womb of their mom. And the younger is fighting with the older. And God, tells, uh, God actually tells Rebecca here that your children, when they're born, are going to be in conflict. Their nations, the descendants that turn into nations, are going to be in conflict together as well. And that the younger is going to serve the older. And that's why that fighting is already happening even before you've given birth. It says, and when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red and covered with thick hair, like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. And Isaac was 60 year old, sixty years old when the twins were born. I think that that is indicative of the rest of Jacob and Esau's story. We see that Jacob, the younger son, Um, was less loved by Isaac. In verse 28 of chapter 25 of Genesis, it says Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home. But Rebecca loved Jacob. And now we see this fracture begin to happen in this family where dad loves one, mom loves the other. Have you experienced this in maybe your family? Have you done this accidentally within your family? showed favoritism. That hurts. That hurts a lot. Uh, We see that Esau Esau was really rash. Verse 25, 32 to 33, he was rash and impulsive. Um, Esau comes in. He was a hunter. Jacob stayed back. He wasn't the hunter. He was kind of smooth and beautiful, and Esau was rough. He's like a man's man. And Esau comes into the field. He's starving after this, after being out for so long, and Jacob has some food. And and, um, let me read you verse 32. Uh, It says this, Jacob starts to manipulate Esau. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as a firstborn son, and then I'll give you food. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, whereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. So Esau was just... He made quick decisions, he made bold decisions, and he didn't always make good decisions. But Jacob was cunning and he was manipulative. And he knew he was stealing from his brother. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew, and Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. And he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. See, up to this point he had the rights as a firstborn, but for one meal he sold it away, and Jacob gladly manipulated and pulled the strings of his brother and used a circumstance to to manipulate and to mistreat his brother. And that's really one of the first times, really the first time that we see the type of pattern that we're going to see really nearly for the rest of Jacob's life and we see that just straight up Jacob was deceitful. If we jump ahead a little bit to chapter 27 verse 19, it says this. Chapter 27 verse 19. Jacob replied. Now, now this is as Isaac is blind and old and he's he's not going to live much longer and he's he is an old man. And he wants to give the birthright blessing To his oldest son Esau, who he loved. He wanted to pour out upon him, but Rebekah and Jacob had another plan. Jacob was now going to manipulate his own dad by tricking him into thinking he was Esau so that he would get the blessing instead of Esau. So Jacob replied, You know, or Isaac said, Isaac said this in verse. Uh, Eighteen. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? And Jacob replied, "It's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat it, so you can give me your blessing." And so what we see is that Isaac, Isaac is kind of sketched out by this scenario, and he goes, "Wait a second. I think you're Jacob, but you look or you sound you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau because you you literally put." Fur on your hands, like fur, like a fur jacket on your on your arms, on your legs, on your cheeks. You you smell like a hunter, like you're Esau. You have this game, you you've come in. I'm so confused. And and he's like, I don't know, this doesn't seem to make sense. But Jacob's like, No, 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 I'm Esau. You have to trust me. He deceitfully manipulated his father. And in the process, Completely obliterated Esau. Esau, when he finds out about this, Isaac said to him, "I have made Jacob your master, and I have declared that all, all of um, that all of his brothers will be his servants, and I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What, what is left for me to give you, my son?" And Esau, Esau's pleaded, please, don't you have only, you have only one blessing, my father. Bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. And from that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing and Esau began to scheme. You know, um, Esau here, Esau here realizes that he just lost out on everything. not only did Jacob steal his birthright, but he also stole his father's blessing from him and now he knows for sure Jacob will truly always rule over him. and so what does Jacob do? he runs he has no other choice but to run and to live the rest of his life in a very manipulative way. I'll summarize um I'll summarize some of this here right now Jacob runs away he ends up going to um to Laban, a family member. He ends up running to the land where Laban actually is, and he lives he lives a life of straight up fear and insecurity. He goes to Laban and he sees this woman named Rachel who is beautiful. But Rachel has a sister named Leah, and the way that the text says it is that Leah didn't really have any sparkle in her eyes. She was just plain. She was ordinary. She was a normal person. And so Jacob told Laban, Laban, let me marry Rachel. And Laban goes, if you work for me hard, you work for me for seven years, then I'll let you marry Rachel. I'll let you marry Rachel. And Jacob was like, he was so enamored, so infatuated, so in love with Rachel that he's like, I'll gladly do that. My goodness. And so he worked his butt off. He worked and he worked and he worked for seven years and it went by just like that. In the blink of an eye, it was gone. And then he had the chance to marry Rachel. But Laban manipulated him. And Laban tricked the trickster. He manipulated the manipulator. And he actually married off his firstborn daughter, Leah, first. And Jacob didn't even realize it until after their wedding night, after they had slept together and consummated their marriage. And he was furious. And so he committed to Laban to work even more years to marry Rachel. So he married Rachel too. And what ended up happening was Rachel couldn't have kids and Leah could have kids. So Rachel said, here, sleep with my servant. So Jacob had kids with Rachel's servant. And then Leah had kids. And then Leah's servant had kids once Leah couldn't anymore. And, and Jacob's got all these kids now, by all these different women. And then finally, Rachel gives birth. Um, and And the son of Rachel is the most prized possession of Jacob. And his name was Joseph. And then as Joseph is grown up, he makes a lot of observations because he sees conflict start to arise between Laban and between Jacob. And as this conflict is arising, um, what we see is Jacob and his father-in-law fight and manipulate each other. And Jacob goes to Laban and says, um, I want to make my own wages. I want to stop working for you. And so Laban makes a deal with him. And then Jacob skews the deal in his favor, and then Laban tries to steal back from him, and they steal back from each other back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And Joseph sees all of this happen. And so finally, Jacob goes, I'm leaving. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm piecing out. I'm going to be done with this. And so Jacob takes off, and the only place he has to go is back home, back to his brother Esau. And, you know, I'm I'm leaving out quite a bit of the story here because it's dramatic and it's full of lies and deceit. And, and in the meantime, God told Jacob, Jacob, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to protect you. And everyone goes, how could you tell him that, God? He's a terrible person. He lies. He cheats. He steals. But the blessing of Isaac came down to Jacob and God said, I want to use you, Jacob. I'm going to use you even despite your imperfections. And so one of the most extraordinary ways that God does this and this is where this is where the story goes is that there's a point where Esau has to come face to face with Jacob again or rather really Jacob has to come face to face with Esau again and this is the only way Jacob brings his entire family to Esau. Jacob tries to kind of manipulate Esau again by sending him all sorts of gifts and by sending him all sorts of blessings and by sending all this stuff out there to Esau before he tries to reunite with him because he's so scared that Esau is going to kill him. After after you know nearly you know fifteen years or even more, he's still scared of his brother. And this is one of the most beautiful things. Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and his servants and his wives. And he put the servants, uh, the servant wives and their children in the front and Leah next and Rachel next. And then Jacob actually went on ahead of everybody and he approached his brother and bowed to the ground seven times, seven times. He just bowed to the ground and said, I'll serve you. I'm so sorry. Um, accept your servant." He had no confidence. And this is just, this is where the story's going, one of the most beautiful things in this entire story. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they both wept. And Esau looked at the women and the children and asked, who are these people that are with you? And Jacob is stunned. He doesn't know what to do. Because this man who he wronged, this man who he lied to, this man who he manipulated, who he stole from, who, whose life he destroyed in so many ways, saw him coming and embraced him. And we see this extraordinary act of love and of mercy come from Esau. The rough, manly man sees Jacob and says, I'm so glad that you're home. Show me your family. I think it's really beautiful that Joseph saw all of this unfold as well, because Joseph's story itself is really powerful. And he would have been a he would have been about thirteen years old at this point, and his his mom had just passed away. Rachel ended up dying, and so he, um, you know, Joseph saw this. His his mom ended up dying just shortly thereafter. This, and you know, Jacob Jacob manipulated his brother, but Esau found it in his heart to forgive him. And what a beautiful, beautiful story! Um, you know, I'll tell you that I'll finish the story about the salesperson that really hurt me. We both got ourselves in trouble, and I was like, you know, I can't let this, I can't let this sit like this. My spirit was just tortured, and so I went up to this gentleman and I said, "I want you to know that I'm sorry that I acted that way. I was wrong. Um, I don't know if I told him it was sinful, but because he's a really irreligious person, but I said it was wrong and it was shameful." and embarrassing. It never should have happened. I said, would you forgive me? Because I'm so sorry. You know, and interestingly, Rob, um, that was the guy's name, the one who I really wronged. He said, yes, it's okay. You know, we can be reconciled there and showed me a great act of grace and a great act of mercy. And so I want you to think for just a minute about how do you treat the people who have mistreated you? And what about the people who even you have mistreated? I would like to encourage you with this, that with this story, you should be motivated and inspired to follow after Esau's example. Here's why. What Esau did was an action of love and of grace, and he didn't have to do it. Yeah, Jacob threw himself down before and repented and this stuff, but Esau showed love and grace just like Jesus shows love and shows grace for us. And so for the people who mistreat you, let me help you um, think through what the process of forgiveness looks like for them. I think the first one is knowing God forgave us for so very much, and so we And our job and our responsibility is to turn that and to offer that forgiveness to other people, to give that same forgiveness out to the people who have wronged us. Because here's the thing, your sins have been forgiven if you're a follower of Jesus. And it's our job to forgive other people when they've mistreated us. Jesus said, our Father who's in heaven, glorified, hallowed, uplifted be your name, Um, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And um, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, our sins, as we forgive those who are indebted to us, who have sinned against us. Jesus says, if there's someone you're holding something against, there's unforgiveness in your heart. He said, I don't even want your money right now. I want you to be restored to that person. Jesus takes forgiveness so, so very seriously. And when we realize the depth of hurt and of pain we've been forgiven from, our job is to give that to the people that have also wronged us, just like Esau gave that to Jacob, requires humility. It requires us recognizing that we have been forgiven and that this story of life is not our story. It's God's story and it requires us to think less of ourselves, not to to think less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less. So that we can realize the mission God has given us to have restored relationships and whole relationships. And you know, it requires just acceptance of the facts. This is what happened. This is how it is. I'm not gonna be in denial about this. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be contented with knowing that this played out the way that it did and no longer be controlled by anger, no longer be controlled by fear, no longer be controlled by frustration, but an acceptance of the situation as it is, and it requires action. Forgiveness requires us, like Esau, to run to Jacob and to embrace him and to say, I love you, show me your family. It takes you forgiving your teacher, forgiving your coworker, forgiving your boss, forgiving the person at your church that's hurt you who's gossiped about you. Forgiving, you know, I I say again, like those family members who have just mistreated you and who just treated you unfairly. Forgiveness is so powerful. And how do we handle those that have mistreated us? We seek to forgive them. Here's why. When we forgive, our connection with God is deeply grown. And our relationship with the Lord absolutely flourishes. Because God honors us forgiving people the same way that he forgave us he challenges us obey me i challenge you to obey me and see if i don't come through and help you and make it a better future for you than you ever could have experienced without having that forgiveness i have this deep regret in my life that i never reconciled with the young man that died who was a bully to me I think about that still, and I think, man, there's nothing I could do, no grieving I could do afterwards, nothing I could do. But I'll tell you this, I've come to peace with it in my heart now that I know there's nothing There's nothing that I can do. I know I'm forgiven of that resentment and that bitterness that I had, even though I wasn't the one that necessarily did something wrong. And so I would challenge you and encourage you to go to the people who have mistreated you. Go to the people who have wronged you, seek to forgive them, seek to experience God's blessing in that relationship so that your story can be just as inspiring as Esau, who was lied about, manipulated, cheated, and stolen from, as Esau could look at his brother and say, welcome home. So until we are together again, I simply want to say thank you for joining in on this episode of the Things That Matter Most podcast.